I thought he was good in Moonlight, actually. Edison? Yeah. <laughs> what? Did he play the ocean? No, he was, he was in that <laughs> film, wasn't he? In Moonlight? Dancing in the moonlight. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't understand. The 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 strand of logic in this joke is so it's just so so stupid, so so tenuous. <laughs> you're you're garbage. Before we started recording, we were having a bit of a, a talk about um, old Davy Wedge, mm. and uh, you're about to say something which you you insisted be on the record. So that's right. Please, that's right. Please. I mean, specifically, what you said is that David Lynch is to some degree less interesting as a person, considered as like just any old person as he is an artist, or you know, essentially that's what you said, right? Yeah, where well, his personal identity. You said something about a prism of light or some pretentious nonsense but you know yeah with my with my um my my coastal elite uh master's degree you know considered as a person he's not he's not particularly remarkable yeah but i think that's i think that's that's what it should be with every person who produces creative work really because Mm. you know how you hear that thing when when people say you know never meet your heroes and it can be really disappointing to to meet someone whose work you love and then they turn out to be you know just just some boring guy or indeed an asshole right yeah yeah and so some people even avoid meeting their heroes even when they have the opportunity to do so just so they can avoid that experience right my perspective is if the artist lived up to their artwork then they're probably not that much of an artist really right like their work should be better than them that's that's the whole point like that's yeah, yeah. that's to me is the, is the foundation of why art is so meaningful and what it gives to me. It's something that you can't get just from like having a conversation with someone at a party, right? Yeah, I agree. So if they disappoint you, kind of that should make it better in some degrees. I, I certainly don't want to wade into like you know the Me Too debate where you consider can I still watch Roman Polanski films or whatever. You know, it's not about that. Like I'm not talking about excusing. Um, no sexual assault <laughs> and, and this is also not to dismiss like there are interesting mappings of like biography onto r2 oh certainly yeah i'm not saying like you you should ignore biography or anything like that but like i don't think there should be any weight in like someone living up to no i agree with you their art in in the sense of just like are they a nice person or i mean you should be nice but <laughs> well that's that's a um a bold political opinion you're coming out on the show that's my centrist policy platform. <laughs> People should be nice. Me, me the, uh, the the hardcore left wing or right wing demagogue, mm. and you, the uh, centrist, who's allowing me uh, access to his to his platform. We're really the um, the the uh, Buckley v. Dahl debates um, in podcast form. I think. 
Um, but yeah, I shouldn't even say niceness as part of it because I, I think, you know, being an asshole is something that should be avoided and not encouraged or excused because you're a great artist. But yeah, there shouldn't be a burden of being like interesting. <laughs> you, us being non-artists, I mean, we shouldn't put and so how. much stock <laughs> into the idea of our artists embodying like the, the this like mysterious or brilliant quality either. Hmm. Because then you're just inevitably going to be disappointed when you uh, yeah meet them and they're just like some guy, you know. But David Lynch is a pretty interesting person, so I don't know. Yeah, he is, yeah. All right, uh, so this is a, a film podcast, as you might have gathered. Yes. Welcome to Project A+. Your name is Hunter, my name is Hugh. What uh, what two films are we doing today? Uh, Lady and the Tramp. But are we doing the original 1955 Walt Disney 2D animated classic? Um, no, we are in fact doing the um, 30 minute plus longer quote unquote live action version uh, that was released earlier this year on the new uh, brand new streaming platform of Disney Plus. Wow. And what what is the sort of natural pairing to that film that we're doing this week? The film that whenever you think of 2019's Lady and the Champ immediately springs to mind. Well, if you if you condense the title down to Lady Tramp, then you immediately think of Vagabond, a 1985 film by the great French director Agnes Varda. Agnes Varda. Yes, Agnes Varda, if you want to be accurate. Or, as it's known in France, Saint Tunis-Lois. So uh, let's, let's get on with it. Um, there are a, a trio of segments that we use to sort of um, lull our viewers into the uh, specific mental zone they need to traipse uh, across the um, hazardous, um, surrealistic landscape that is every episode of Project A+. Mm -hmm. And um, they are Armor of Gods, um, Wheels on Meals. Meals on Wheels? Reels on Meals. Reels on Meals. (laughs) The one that I always mess up. Yes. Um, And there was an Instagram account that I found recently that was... um, Why are you finding Instagram accounts? Are you on Instagram? No. Someone tweeted it or something. Yeah, that is Meals on Reels, mm. uh, which is food on film. So I feel like they kind of ripped this off here. They did. A little bit. Um, but and anyway, the uh, final segment of the uh, introduction is a little segment which is called... Air Diaries. Yes. Let's start. Our Armor of, Armor of the Gods. Uh, Armor of Gods. Armor of Gods. You also mess up that title consistently. You said it right, uh, like two seconds ago. You said it right. I just like naturalistic. Right I just I, like uh, you know the words flow as they should, as opposed to what they are. But luckily, luckily, the uh, excellent theme song will remind listeners of how it's supposed to be titled, even though it's the singular version. What you wear. Get off to a start. What are you wearing today? Uh, I'm wearing the same tan pants, the same blue t-shirt, but because it is warm out, I have no overshirt, uh-huh. and I'm not wearing any socks. Mm. That's it. What are you wearing? Uh, I'm uh, a little boring this week. I'm wearing a. Uh, what do you mean this week? I'm wearing a worn out, beat up, denim shirt. 
has sizable holes uh, in the elbow region of the sleeve, of both sleeves. Um, and therefore, I have to um, roll up the sleeves whenever I want to wear it, as to not look like a crazy person. Uh, and it has a picture, or a, a sort of um, stenciled silhouette of a rat on the back. And then I'm wearing gray pants and no socks at the moment. And that's it. What are you wearing under the denim jacket? Denim shirt. Oh, denim shirt. Okay. Yeah. Sort of like a denim button-up. That's it. That's all I'm wearing. Wow. Usually I usually we rely on you to supply a dash of flamboyance to this segment. Just as you supply the uh, pretentious hipster ingredients in Reels on Meals. That's today, my friend. Man, what's this, like, toxic masculine <laughs> denim? <laughs> With a stencil of a rat on it. Yeah. That's relevant to Lady in the Tramp. It is. God, what an insane movie. We'll get to it, though. We will indeed. Um, so, um, now for segment numero due. Reels on Meals. Reels on meals on reels on meals on reels. Reels on meals on reels on meals on reels. Uh, care to guess what I've consumed so far today? Uh, some toast. Yeah. With some spread. Yep. And Vegemite. Nope, Marmite. Marmite. Damn it. I feel like I always guess one and it's the other. Uh, and also some coffee. And some coffee, yes. And once again, I burnt one of the pieces of bread. Mm. I don't do this every day. It just seems to happen on the, the day of recording. This time, I couldn't even be bothered scraping the burnt bits off the burnt piece. I, don't, I have an old toaster, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess it's not operating at uh, its highest capacity. Mm. And, you know, you can excuse some uh, diminishment of performance. But... It does annoy me like, why we can't engineer toasters properly. Like, I, I've never encountered a toaster that isn't uneven in the way that it toasts the bread. There's always hot spots and cool spots. And so I have to be quite hands-on with the way I toast. So I just toast a little bit and then flip it over and change positions and all that sort of stuff. It's quite fiddly. And uh, what I tend to do, and this is why I burn the bread, because another problem is, because I'm cooking two bits of bread at once, when you take two bits and lay them down and then butter them in turn, by the time you're buttering the second piece of bread, it's cooled down to the point where it won't melt all the butter sufficiently like the first piece. So you have this, this uneven level of meltiness between the two bits of bread. And, you know, you want the same. You want, you want to be reliably melty. So what I have started doing, and this is causing my problems, is, is leaving the, the less cooked bit of bread in the toaster. So I make that determination by first popping it up and checking them and seeing which one is less burnt, which one can um, stand a little bit more cooking. Quickly try and butter one of the pieces of bread while the other is still in there, heating up, and then quickly taking that out and and buttering it. So both of them are are being buttered immediately after being withdrawn from the toaster. But the problem is if you're too sluggish buttering the first piece, the other one can burn because it's basically already cooked. And uh, that is indeed what happened this morning. And also, I think, last week. So, there you go. What did you have? Um, sorry, I forgot. Damn. Damn. What was that supposed to be? Damn. Who's that? Damn. I get that you're trying to do a British accent of some description. 
Damn. But but who? It's you. Huh? Oh, That's that was a, an attempt at me. No, I can't do you. Not uh, not without wine and dining me first. <clears throat> uh, so today <laughs> I had a series of meals. Uh, I started with my usual breakfast, at least for the last three weeks or so. At least the last um, times we've recorded, which is uh, muesli and uh, yogurt. Uh, I followed that up with some leftover vegetarian chili, mm. which I had with sour cream and cheese on top. And for dinner, I treated myself and went to out to get a uh, American delicacy, which is a fast food company known as Shake Shack. Um, and from Shake Shack, I acquired one uh, Christmas cookie flavored milkshake. Mm-hmm. Which just tasted like frosting, pretty much, and was okay. Two. I got a chicken hot dog, which I asked to be prepared with a variety of ingredients on top of it, but um, I uh, neglected to check my order before I uh, left the establishment. And when I got home, I realized I had only put sweet chilies on top. So, a chicken dog with sweet chilies and ketchup. And then three french fries. And that is what I had for my meals today. So, fuck right off with your pretentious garbage bullshit. That's all I can say. Shake Shack is sort of pretentious. Not really. I mean, it is, it's, a, it's a burger institution of the East Coast. Yeah. And often it's pitted against its uh, West Coast rival, In-N-Out Burger. Mm, which I've never been to. Oh, you've never been to it? I've only been to the West Coast um, a single time as an adult, so... Um, okay, cool. Yep. So, um, let's let's discuss our air diaries, shall, shall we? Tell me about the weather where you are. Uh, I think it's supposed to be really hot today. So I've got all the blinds down. The house is pretty well insulated from the heat, usually. So it won't get too hot inside. I don't need to go outside, so I'll be fine. But it's like, you know, 35 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe. Fahrenheit? Celsius, do you mean? Celsius, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, do you want to know what that is in uh, whatever? Why not? Celsius. All right, here we go. It's like 100 or something, right? 95, there you go. Pretty warm. Pretty warm, yeah. But because it's Melbourne... And Melbourne has uh, a pretty good climate, I think. It will cool off within two days mm. with a refreshing cool change. So the temperature is likely to plummet anything up to 20 degrees in like 15 minutes, mm. which is the best part of Melbourne. Almost makes the heat worthwhile. That does sound nice. It, like, it switches it off like a faucet. Great analogy. Anyway. It's uh, t-shirts and shorts weather, I guess. Not that I ever leave the house in that attire, but mm. nonetheless. How about you? What's it like in uh, New York? Well, uh, today in New York, it's sort of chilly and it's overcast. Uh, the exact temperature at the moment is... In metric and imperial, please. 46 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, which in Celsius is 
Which is sort of jacket weather, but I wore a white jacket that I was. Every day is jacket weather, all right, bro. I will be um, taking this to um, uh, the Project A Plus uh, HR department. So HR team, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm sure that they've uh, gotten tired of hearing complaints about you, but um, mm. I guess not. Um, but anyway, that is 7.77778 degrees Celsius. Wow, pretty chilly, yeah. Yeah, not really. It can be if there's a frosty wind. Yeah. The wind really does affect perception of temperature substantially. That's true. Tune in every week for such amazing meteorological insights. Okay, let's go for it. Let's move on. What is our first film today? At the edge of the park you find a view of the entire world sparkling just for you and me, a lady and a term. Where you see houses I see pounds, I don't dig fences, I dig under them, I know no bounds Out here the plan don't stop, it's an endless fly Our first film is the 2019 live-action adaptation of the beloved 1955 Disney animated classic Lady in the Tramp mm. Also called Lady in the Tramp Hugh, what is a Lady in the Tramp? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that question, because Lady and the Tramp is a 2019 movie that is a remake of a 1955 animated movie. This film is also partially animated. Yes. And it is about uh, about two dogs who meet, um, kiss, make love. The, The crux of the film is that there is a dog named Lady who's... Life seems perfect. She lives in an uh, unspecified area of the American South in the uh, uh, also unspecified time period of, let's say, the 1910s to the 1920s. Yeah, early 20th century. Yeah, but presumably before the Great Depression. <laughs> mm. So let's say let's say around that time. Um, this this part of it this is not named. It seems to be near the Mississippi, but. Again, it's not it's not identified. Uh, Wikipedia tells me that the live action sequences were shot in Savannah, Georgia, which works as well as anything else. Um, she is a, as her name suggests, a member of the aristocracy, but it is an aristocracy and aesthetic only, uh, as we do not receive any information about what these couples this this couple does exactly. Besides a vague reference to the male portion being a musician, though we never see him play music. Actually, I think I found a way to place this film more specifically in history, at least the new one. Mm. Because they they do show that it is a society transitioning from horse and cart to motor vehicles, as represented by a Model T Ford. That's true. And that puts it around, you know, 1908 to 1910, around there. I'd say. So about about what we identified without our about right yeah, but it it is not it's not a, it's not exactly clear whether this uh, the location is a small town a big city it, it doesn't it, there's no um, internal uh, logic to the society it depicts let's say no but there is a class divide which is I think best articulated <laughs> through these two titular characters 
and specifically uh, articulate through their names, as we said, Wadey, sort of this pampered dog. And there's the second character of the tramp, who is a tramp, a dog that wanders around, um, sort of being menaced by um, dog catchers and finding a bite to eat wherever he can. Mm-hmm. They stumble into one another, uh, and circumstances force a lady to exit her pampered existence um, and live on the streets for a bit. Uh, and then they fall in love, and there's some other shit. I don't know. Is that is that an adequate summary, or should we keep on? No, that's that's fine. Squeezing some blood from this stone. <laughs> the story is well known. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's. Uh, I'm gonna start. Uh, let's start a discussion with a question here. Have you seen 1955's Lady of the Trip? I will answer that. But first of all, fuck you for choosing this. <laughs> I think, you know what? Um, not to get ahead of myself, but I do not think... Um, I think this film uh, will be interesting to talk about. Yeah, no, actually I agree, because I think you should buckle up. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Because we're going, we're going to expound at length about this. Yes, yeah. I promise you that. So, to answer your question, I, of course, did my due diligence and revisited the 1955 original before tackling this Disney Plus update. In fact, I watched these two versions back to back, (laughs) meaning I spent exactly three consecutive hours inside (laughs) the Lady in the Tramp universe. Oh, boy. 76-minute original, 104-minute update, 180 minutes total. Wow, that's uh, certainly a choice. And my reasoning is that the only practical basis for a discussion about the new Lady in the Tramp is a comparison with the original. How does a Lady in the Tramp tailored to a 2019 audience differ from a Lady in the Tramp tailored to a 1955 audience, Mm. which is much before our time? Perhaps we can extrapolate something about the changes that have occurred in the intervening 64 years, not just in technology, but in culture and society in general. And maybe most pressingly of all, we can answer the question, does this reimagining of a Disney classic justify its existence? Mm. Have you seen the original? Um, I actually don't know. Mm. I definitely don't have any memory of it at all. So you didn't revisit it for this episode of the podcast? I did not. I thought about revisiting it, but I ended up not doing it because I was pressed for time. I have, I have, I have, I live a very busy life. I mean, I didn't want to revisit it, but I did. And obviously, I have the time to do so. Um, I, it's currently reaching the end of the semester, and I need to finish my thesis. Don't have much time to sit around and watch 70-minute Lady the Tramp films. So the burden is on me to uh, enrich this discussion with my specific knowledge of the original. Yes. So I had seen it as a kid, but I don't remember it that well. Uh, so I, I watched it. Pretty much the only image or... Part of the original film I remembered was the uh, infamous dog kiss. Infamous is not the word, but yes. <laughs> I believe it is. I believe it is, is the word. Okay. Um, but no, you, you're right. That's the only bit I remember. It's, it's the only bit anyone remembers from the original, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I think I had seen the original in full. But yeah, that's the only part of it that I've retained, mm. possibly because it's been referenced so many times in other things as well. Yeah. But anyway... Because my comments about this will be predicated on how it compares with the OG Lady in the Tramp, I think it makes sense for me to start by sharing my opinion about that film first. Please. Does it deserve its reputation as a Disney classic? Okay, well, yeah. I mean, I feel like it is not one of the 
most talked about Disney classics. No, no, it's not the most esteemed critically, but I think it's become a classic. It definitely has its place in culture. Actually, on that point, it's worth pointing out that the original film wasn't met with a rapturous reception from critics upon its initial release, although it was a huge commercial success. Yes. I think it's since been treated as a classic. At the very least, it's iconic for that spaghetti strand kiss, and it's a cultural reference point. So yeah, definitely. It's entered cinema history. Yeah. Um, but enough about cinema history. The, the important point is, what did I make of it? Yeah, Hugh. Now that I've seen it as a developed, mature, sophisticated adult and not some idiot child. What did you think about it? Was it good? Was it bad? Somewhere in the middle? Mate, I'm expounding. I'll get to it. So short of some exceptions, like maybe parts of Fantasia and Karl Barks, I'm mm. fairly immune to Disney products, I will say. Mm. I, I am I am too. I think Fantasia is a good movie. Yeah. I found them anemic as a kid, and I find them anemic as an adult. And I, I did adore Peter Pan when I was a child. And that's mm. Yeah, I do, I do have um, exceptions. My, my tastes tended towards the more anarchic stuff like looney tunes when it came came to that type of animation uh, i think i think the best disney like related thing that i like is kingdom hearts which is not a disney really at all that <laughs> in fact i would say i have more nostalgia for the specific twist on disney that kingdom hearts provides than i do for anything in, in the actual disney canon mm. um but anyway some of the stuff, like, works when you're a kid. Like, I remember digging The Little Mermaid. I haven't revisited it since, mm. so I can't comment on it, but I, I did love it when I saw it at the movies. And stuff like Oliver and Company. And, indeed, I do remember liking Lady and the Tramp, mm. or at least having some fun associations with it. So does it hold up now? Yes. Does it hold up? Um, I would say n- not really, no. Wow, I am shocked. The animation is impressive, but also somewhat uninspired, and I would say technically inferior to some of Disney's other accomplishments in 2D animation. It's not their strongest showcase. Mm. And the narrative is a bit of a mess. So it's, it's not a shaggy dog story exactly, but it's certainly shaggy. So the plot meanders and the attempts to introduce dramatic conflicts feel like afterthoughts, especially the late-in-the-piece introduction of this arbitrarily sinister rat who mm. very briefly functions as the villain. And the new one carries over a lot of these problems, to be honest, but we'll get to that. Oh, but no spoilers, you. In short, the original is is pretty dull, pretty unamusing, and you know ultimately pretty conservative. Mm. And also, also, because it's 20th century Disney, it's racist as well, <laughs> thanks to some uh, offensive Asian and Mexican stereotypes. Anyway, so that's the original. It's it's fine if you're uh, on the Disney wavelength, but, you know, it's pretty bland. I, w- I would say the only part of it I could appreciate on any level was the artwork, in, even though it wasn't that impressive. So guess what happens if you remove the only halfway decent part of the production? It makes the movie better. You get this fucking pile of nothing. <laughs> so, did I enjoy... My three hours in the company of these mutts. <laughs> no, sir, I did not. Okay, here, let's, let's talk about this broadly. Do you like dogs? Yeah, I, I do like dogs. Mm. And I know you don't. I do not. That's true. Which was established on a previous episode of this podcast. Yes. Controversially. Look back to that other episode of the podcast, which I'm sure the title which you'll insert right now. 
<laughs> I'm not finding it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna go through every episode of the podcast. You're gonna release to do every episode of the podcast and then place it place the clip in right now. Great. Okay. So we'll get to exactly how the new version deviates from the original, and it does mm. deviate in some noteworthy ways. But it certainly doesn't fix any of the narrative problems, and it certainly doesn't justify its existence, I would argue. So what did you think, my esteemed colleague? This is a film that I think is completely terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, it did. It, it has this bizarre quality, where at one, at, at one hand, I, I can't take my eyes off of some of this film. It's so bizarre. But on the other hand, it just it feels like you're watching nothing at all. There's yes. something about the way it's a wit, the the way that the creatures are animated. There's just something about it that maybe it's just the specific like cheap CGI like sheen. And you look at it and it just feels flat and it's just like looking at nothing. It's gazing into nothing. And uh it was really long <laughs> for some reason. Um was it ever? And I, uh, I think the film's uh, like racial politics are troubling. <laughs> yeah, but well, we can excited upon that in a bit. But um, uh, I, I think that I, I, I did not expect this movie to be good. This is actually about it as 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 much as I expected it to be. It's about this level of quality I expected it to be, which is that I understand why they make made this film to attract people to their new streaming platform right yes give them something you know just the the same way that they made all these other shitty remakes none of which i've watched well it's notably the first of their live action remakes that doesn't get a theatrical release yeah. it's going straight to their new platform you know the, there's two things that entice that, that made me want to watch this film one of which was that fact that i wanted to see what the direct dvd version of that looked like mm-hmm. you know what i mean if if the if these live action remakes are um sort of just disney like frame by frame recreating their hits um, using the, the most lavish of budgets, right? Mm. I'm sure that the um, theatrical theatrically released Disney remakes had a baseline of competence. And I wanted to see what a remake of these films look like without with that baseline removed, okay? Uh, and the second thing that made me really want to watch this film is that uh, unlike, say, The Lion King or The Jungle Book, which used... Um, their, their talking creatures were solely the product of computer animation. Uh, I knew that there would be some hybrid version of CGI and live action dog that'd be used to make this movie. And I thought that sounded like it could be really hideous and I wanted to watch it for that reason. Uh, and I think that my, um, desires were borne out because this film is pretty incompetently made. Hmm. The, the mixture of CGI and real dog is always jarring and always really weird. <laughs> There's something to this film that makes it hard to look away from at the same time makes it impossible to look at. So that's about my, my thoughts, my non-political thoughts in a nutshell. Just on the, the CGI. Mm. So what it appears to me that they've done is that they've obviously got the actual animals on set as reference And there's a number of shots where they don't need to speak or do anything uh, fancy where they can just use the actual dog. Yeah. But when it's speaking or doing, or doing anything that, you know, it would be difficult for a dog to actually do, 
it's clearly entirely CGI. It's not like they've just changed the mouth or something. They've rendered the whole yeah. creature. Yeah. Which makes yeah. sense. Like, that is what you probably do these days, especially when you've got, like, a, a perfect one-to-one visual reference point with the actual dog on set. Yes. But, yeah, it's certainly not seamless. It certainly looks awkward. There's, there's several great scenes where it'll cut to a CGI representation of a dog to the actual dog doing something. You're like, well, it feels like reality is being, like, transgressed, you know? And there's one great shot where it's like, lady is saying something, right? And then it cuts to the actual dog running up the stairs. And you're like, what? This is in a different world. What's happening? <laughs> the CGI is, is fucking gar- garbage, I think, in this film. Yeah, it is garbage. <laughs> I, I think we won't be the first people to make this type of observation because it normally accompanies uh, the release of every Disney live action remake that uses CGI like this is that you have a fundamental problem of inexpressiveness that is at odds with the material. Which I think makes this movie in part really funny. When they ex- expect you, when they cut to a dog's face, and you know what, I, I, I may not be the biggest fan of dogs, but they are perfectly capable of expressing emotions, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're capable of expressing dog emotions. Yeah, not th- asking them to <laughs> express human emotions like, say, love or sadness. Impossible. <laughs> It is so funny when they they have a dramatic mu- music cue and the and the film cuts to one of these dogs' faces. It's just a dog making its non-expression because dogs will already make facial expressions in the same way. <laughs> and there's there's a lot of comic mileage in that. I think. Yeah, this movie is really bad. Uh, I think it is um, immoral too. Mm. I think there is something d- disgusting about this film, um, which is I think to be found uh, in the way that it romanticizes the um, time period that it's set in. But without without engaging at all with the racism that is endemic to that period. So we have not discussed the... Um, we've, we've talked about the setting, but we have not talked about the way that the film depicts the setting, which is a, uh, you know, early 19th century South, one, devoid of southern accents. So that's a big no-no, really. With the exception of Sam Elliott, I guess. Yeah, but Sam Elliott has, like, a Texan accent. Doesn't have, like, a Georgian accent. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, uh, Sam Elliott was born in California, so I don't know. What, I don't know what, what his accent is. No, it's just, like, cowboy. Yeah, <laughs> cowboy accent. <laughs> Old, laconic cowboy. But uh, anyway, anyway. Um, this this film completely uh, whitewashes uh, the fact that there was segregation in mm-hmm. the South. And yeah, this one is specifically set in the South, even though it's not named in a way that the original isn't really, because we see like a steamboat and stuff. It relies on iconography of the South. The, the dresses that the characters wear, the style of the houses they live in, all of this relies on this sort of Southern kitsch. Another another thing that I that I like was driving me insane is that um, the the main character the main family in this film is an interracial family. Uh, interracial marriage was not legalized in America until 1967. Mm. And um, uh, the the fact that it, the, the film just so blasely feels that it can't like reconfigure the, this fact is like so insulting to me. It just erases this legacy of hatred and, and violent and racial violence that defined that period in real life. And uh, I think this film is pretty disgusting in the, in the way that it, it, it uses this aesthetic and, and romanticizes this, this time period without 
uh, engage with a really nasty history that you know mm. is underneath it, which is which is which is it sort of makes it in line with say something like Song of the South, to be honest. <laughs> so in the original, the humans are marginalized from the story to a greater extent than they are here. I mean, obviously, both films are primarily about the world of the dogs, but. Mm. In the original, they have less dialogue and their faces are usually cropped out of frame. They get the Charlie Brown effect. Basically, yeah. Except you do sometimes see them and you do sometimes actually hear them speak. Mm. But they're they're definitely all white. All the human characters that you see, that you glimpse, are all white. Um, And as I said before, the racial stereotypes are present in the dog world, you know, with the Siamese cat. Mm. Now, this film obviously wisely dumps the racist stereotypes... (laughs) Uh, but it decides to recalibrate itself uh, and be racist in a different direction. Yeah, basically, it's it's presenting an alternate history version of yeah. early twentieth century America. Yes. Now, I definitely think there are contexts in which colorblind casting is entirely appropriate and should be encouraged. Yeah. But it's deeply suspect for a, a corporation like Disney, with a long history of perpetuating racist doctrines in its products to present this post-racial fantasia that is so fundamentally at odds with the reality of the period it's purporting to represent. Yeah, definitely. You can't reckon with the sins of your founder entirely by subtraction, you know, by pretending there's no racism at all. No. I mean, I I guess we're not expecting a searing exploration of uh, racial injustice in a kid's film about anthropomorphized dogs, but... I just just don't know why they felt the need to set this, this movie in that time period at all. Well, they're just being true to the original, I guess. Does the original use, like, southern iconography at all? Not as much, no. But it's is it still present? I, I don't remember anything that specifically made it seem like the South in the way that the new one does. Mm, weird. That's so weird. It felt more generic, if you know what I mean. Just like, here's yeah. a city and here's the yeah, wealthy yeah. suburb. You could argue some of the design maybe leans towards that type of... It's definitely uh, not a, this film seems explicitly identified with the South. Mm. You know. Like, there's the, there's this uh, terrible steamboat sequence. Yeah, this the steamboat sequence is not in the original. Or you have expect fucking Mark Twain to come out and say something, you know. Ugh, what a bunch of garbage. This, this kind of feels like someone walking up to you and loudly announcing, I'm not racist. <laughs> It's like, it's deeply suspect and it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's really saying I'm not racist and also no one is what racist. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the word I'm searching for is woke screen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, what, what is this? I, I, I think I faintly <laughs> recall in some distant podcast episode, you introducing this concept. Could you please uh, <laughs> uh, elaborate for our, our listeners and for me what a woke screen is? It's essentially where you superficially present signifiers of progressiveness mm. to cover up something that is fundamentally not progressive. Mm. And which we could talk about, too, that beyond that specific um, horrible subtext, right? This is a deeply conservative film in other ways, I think. Indeed. This is actually a point I really want to discuss in detail because there are some changes that they've made to this new version, which actually make it more conservative than the original. Well, please. So one of the themes of the original film is the idea of what freedom means. And Mm. if you can truly be free, if you're part of a society, right? We're going to talk about more about this uh, in our 
next discussion on Vagabond. Indeed, indeed. There's a there's a very uh, nice synchronicity between them, I think. So, yeah, the idea, can you truly be free if you're part of this society, if you're conforming mm. to the rules of, of that society? And Lady represents an elite, indoctrinated member of that society, mm. while Tramp represents someone outside of the system, mm. someone that the society is actively hostile towards and, in fact, aims to imprison and even murder. Mm-hmm. Now, in the original, Tramp is not portrayed as a victim of this injustice, per se, yearning to be accepted by society. Mm. In fact, he relishes the lack of bounds his situation affords him and even tries to indoctrinate Lady to his philosophy. Uh, there's a sequence that mirrors that in the new one. Yes, yeah, so that, that is from the original, but it's all toned down in the new version. Mm. So in the original, yeah, there is a sequence where he's talking about the fact that she has a closed-off, sheltered existence. She's fenced in while he's able to explore the world and, and have adventures. And her life is, you know, boring and conformist, right? Mm. And they do something sort of similar here, but it's, it's, it's toned down. And they add mm. some other dimensions to his character that completely uh, takes away what was present in the original. Mm. Now, the original is about overcoming cynicism and mistrust and learning a lesson about love and family and loyalty and whatever. And the ending of the original is deeply conservative but it at least actively entertains Tramp's point of view. There's a fantasy of, of you know, poverty. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. But still, yeah. the high point of the film, the most elaborate and inspired sequence, is Tramp showing Lady how great life on the outside can be. Mm. So you could make a case that the film is functioning in contrast to its superficial message mm. or morals right mm-hmm. but you can't say that about the new film yeah it does it does faithfully recreate the most iconic part of that sequence basically shot for shot line for line mm. but it hardly stands out from the rest of the film mm. and it's true the other problem is they they drastically i mean it doesn't seem drastic but i think it is quite drastic what they've done to tramp's character so is the backstory where he was originally a dog that was had an owner and stuff in, present in the original. No, that mm. is the most fundamental change. So they they say, they basically explain Tramp's perspective as the product of him being abandoned by a family in his, mm. you know, when he was growing up. Yeah, and that's why he's developed this mistrust, right? Yeah. So it, it acts it it, it um, you know demonstrates his worldview as something that needs to be overcome as opposed to a philosophy that you might that someone might willingly adapt themselves to yes exactly and it makes him more like a victim yeah than than the the original version yes who like legitimately had an argument about why he preferred life this way mm-hmm. and also i think it's more interesting if you if you view that character as someone who never had the opportunity to to be part of that family who was always an outcast from society mm-hmm. like he was more of a a free spirit in the original and there was more vitality in life to him. I mean, part of that is the fact that this is a film devoid of vitality in life. <laughs> yes, indeed. Not that the original has that much vitality, to be honest, but still. At least, at least he's, he's, he's a more interesting character. Yeah. Simple as that. The other thing I wanted to talk about that's interesting that the 2019 version is different to the original is the allusions to sex. 
Mm. So which which film do you think would have would have more direct allusions to sex, the, t- the 1955 version or the 2019 version? Uh, I'm going to say because we live in a world where sex has been sanitized from the world, especially from children's films, I'm going to say the 50s version. Yeah, yeah, well, you're right. So there, there are a couple of mildly suggestive lines in the original that are not present in the new film. Mm. And, crucially, at the end of the film, when they're gathered around the Christmas tree, <laughs> what do we see but a litter of puppies? Oh, not true in this new one. Not true in this new one. So in this new one, they don't even fuck. That's true. But there is a scene where a lady almost gets raped, so... I feel like that is the implication of the scene, if it's not stated in it. It's definitely an intimation of, of sexual violence that, it, that you could read into that in that moment. Mm. Which I thought was troubling as well. Um, I did, I did, uh, take pleasure in the scene where, um, these two weird Italian men want these dogs to have a romantic night. I thought that was really odd and creepy. Well, that is, yeah, that's exactly recreated from the original, except the Italian stereotypes are less offensive. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is, uh, a really strange scene. Hmm. <laughs> And I think it becomes stranger when you put it in, in the real world as opposed to the made-up world of animation. Uh, if a dog were to come around and ask me you know, for food, I would kick it. So, you know. Especially if it was like a mangy monster like the Tramp is. I think that the um, way this movie is is like bizarre, too. Uh, in that I, I, really, I, I really laugh. There's two moments at the end of this movie that made me really laugh hard. Which is when they show you what the couple's baby looks like. And I just thought this baby was so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and the baby laughed. Just whenever they cut to it, it was just like... <clears throat> it just looked like this like disgusting like mistake. <laughs> and, <laughs> You're saying the races should never breed. Yeah, what I'm saying is that interracial marriage... we should The courts should strike down Loving versus Virginia. Mm. And uh, interracial marriage should be outlawed. But I don't know why this baby is just—it's just so ugly. I just don't know how how to describe it. <laughs> uh, but an, another thing that this movie is makes this movie completely hilarious is that uh, a that uh, both the lady and the tramp and the the parents think that a rat is a danger to their baby, which is so stupid. Yeah, this this is one of the problems in the original that they repeat wholesale here because. The, the the setup for those of you who don't who don't know the story is that um, randomly this rat gets added to the narrative towards the end. They they in fairness, I mean not in fairness, but it, it is more of a thing in the. They introduce yeah they foreshadow it in the new version in a way they didn't in the original. But the evil rat, which I guess she somehow intuits is evil and is up and has designs on the baby, <laughs> is going up the house. And she's like, oh no, you know, but she's, she's, uh, incapacitated for whatever reason. She's locked in a, in a basement or something. And, uh, Tramp has to go in and rescue the baby. Mm. And in the course of fighting with this rat, um, you know, they knock the curtains down. They knock over the baby's, uh, baby chair thing. What's it called? Rocker? (laughs) Crib? Yeah. The baby's, the baby's rocking chair. Crib, crib, crib. Crib. That's the word. Um, they knock over the baby's crib and then, you know, the, the family hears the commotion. They come up, they see the baby's crib on the ground. They see this mangy dog 
they think the dog was after the baby or a threat to the baby, right? They call the dog Capture, who's been after Tramp the whole film. Tramp gets captured and taken away. Lady comes out and communicates to the family by barking like, and taking them upstairs into the room. Yeah. That there's actually a rat under the blank, <laughs> under the curtain, a dead rat. Uh, to which, to which, if I was in this scenario, my response would be: there is also a rat. We still need to go. That dog. It was that dog is a threat to our child. That that doesn't mean the dog wasn't a threat to our baby. That means there's a rat here as well. <laughs> there's an unrelated rat. <laughs> if you could say what would be the biggest, objectively the biggest threat to your baby. A street dog or a rat? I would say a, a wild dog a hundred times more dangerous to a child than a rat is. I mean, maybe there's a, a spate in Georgia where rats were taking out, uh, away children or something like that. But and, and, and again, this is not a child crawling around on the ground. No. This no. is a child in a cradle. Yes. Which the dog can access and the rat probably wouldn't access. No. Or care about. Anyway, um, this movie is um, atrocious, it's racist, and I'm sure that instead of watching the whole thing like we did, you'd be much better served just watching a compilation clip of watching these horrible dogs speak on YouTube at some point. Mm. Which may not ever happen, because Disney's pretty litigious, and who knows how you could get footage from Disney+. Plus. So, But this movie is trash, and I hated it. Um... But I, I, I want to leave you with a distressing fact, which is that currently in development, there are there are full 10 um, live action versions of Disney films that are in production or in pre-production or planned. Jesus. So um, get ready, my friend. By which I mean, I'm not going to watch them because I had my taste and it was bad. Next year is going to be Mulan. After that... The Little Mermaid, then Pinocchio, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Lilo and Stitch, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, The Sword in the Stone, Peter Pan, The Fox and the Hound. They're making a version, a spinoff of uh, 101 Dalmatians, just simply titled Cruella and Tinkerbell. They're making a sequel to The Jungle Book, you. This is hell. We are living in hell. Anyway, let's 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 go on to uh, the next film. What's is there a thing that we do between? Oh yeah, Pete. Pull. Pizza story. Pass a piece of pizza, baby. I want some pizza, lay me out a slice. Fetch a felon feature for me. It's a pizza story. Dig them fights. Uh, you. You had any pizza in the. No. Uh, no, me neither, so. Cool, we're down. Project time, it's project time. 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 It's the start of a new project, and I can't wait to start. So we're, we're doing a, a short project, and this is something we may return to in future between longer projects. A project that, again, is only going to last one week. But uh, this is called the, I don't know, do we have a name for it? <laughs> um, 
Um, Neglected um, DVD pur- pur- purging, purging the archives. Um, where one of us selects a film that we possess a physical media copy of, mm. but which we haven't yet watched to watch for the podcast and talk about for the podcast. Which, because because they're both pieces of garbage, I assume we both have quite a number of these films. Yes, indeed. And this is just sort of an excuse uh, to sort of, you know, you know, work through our backlogs. Um, in this case, the person who owned the DVD in question was me, as I believe last year I purchased the 4 by Anya Sparta Criterion DVD set. I uh, did not open it, <laughs> and besides that, uh, now I have. Fun times. Anyway, so Vagabond. Morning sun is rising up Just another day of wising up To the rotten ways that they respond To Vagabond uh, So now we're going to talk about a film that features no pizza at all. Annie Esparta's Vagabond. I'll, I'll turn the reins over to you for this one. Um, so... Vagabond is about a lady tramp. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of told in vignettes. Not, not especially narrative film. No. Okay, so this film opens with a woman dead in a ditch in a vineyard. And the police are investigating. And then we flash back and we see vignettes from her life as a vagabond, mm. as the title suggests, leading up to this this moment. Mm. So we see her interact with uh, a number of characters in a number of different locations, mm. different landscapes, and we see how she gets by outside society, essentially. Mm. Yes. Like the tramp of Lady in the Tramp. Or the tramp, the chaplain character. And I think similarly to the original incarnation of the tramp, or tramp as he's called, mm. she makes a sort of conscious decision to be free from society. Um, although we don't know that, we don't know anything about her background, really. I'm getting a little personal here, okay? You ready? Mm. For, uh, uh, it's, another, it's another segment uh, that I like to call uh, Off the Cuff, where I let the, the uh, perfectly constructed mask of um, podcast persona drop, and I, I reveal something about my personal life. Uh, which is that when I was a teenager, I fantasized about running away from home and becoming a, you know, drifter itself. <laughs> There's some point of me, part of me that has always wanted to sort of, you know, just live on the road like that. And I really thought that, that, that Varda's portrait of this character activated that desire in me. Um, you know what? It's sort of the same with me. We're just two drifters, you. <laughs> I, I did identify with her as well. And, Actively thought, thought about doing it while I was watching this film. <laughs> but, you know, obviously you can't do it now because you have responsibilities like this podcast. That's right, yeah. So that's the film. Mm. Directed by arguably the progenitor of the French New Wave, mm. Agnès Varnel. Even as she is often erased from histories of the French New Wave. Mm. Uh, did you like it? Yeah, whatever. Okay, let's let's move on. Hmm. That's right, Mama. 
segment called burn hollywood burn we go over the the top movies in our respective countries the previous the weekend previous to the one um, that's coming up and also we talk about a single news story that is rocking hollywood to its core box office the number one film, the number one film in, in the United Australia States of America the weekend, was 14th of November 2017 was, was Ford, Ford v. Ferrari, Ferrari. Which is a Walt Disney Studios motion picture. Is it really? It is, apparently. Did they get... That's the distributor list. Was it a Fox um, film? I don't know. That's all it says. Up. Yep, 20th Century Fox. So, yep, 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 yep. The gross was... In America? Uh, 31.5 million dollars. 1.7, yeah. Mm. It's not that much. Apparently that movie cost 97 million dollars to make. You know, Hugh, uh, I think that money could have been better spent um, making anything else. Or, um, you know, feeding people. I don't know. <laughs> anyway... So, uh, what is your news story for this week, Hugh Hamilton? Well, I'm pleased to report that uh, Project A Plus favorite Bong Joon Ho mm. has entered the <laughs> superhero movie debate. The debate mm. being: Are superhero movies cinema or good, or mm. approved by Martin Scorsese? And Mr. Joon Ho said. I have a personal problem. I respect the creativity that goes into superhero films, but in real life and in movies, I can't stand people wearing tight-fitting clothes. Mm. I'll never wear something like that, and just seeing someone in tight clothes is mentally difficult. I don't know where to look, and I feel suffocated. Most superheroes wear tight suits, so I can never direct one. I don't think anyone will ever offer the project to me either. If there is a superhero who has a very boxy costume, maybe I can try so, Bong Joon-ho's take on Iron Man is coming up. You're better it'll be as good as his last films. Probably. All right. Uh, are you ready to hear my news story? I am. All right. David Fincher to produce Chinatown prequel series for Netflix with Robert Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, 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 da. That's it. I read about this. Yeah, Robert Town, who famously wrote the original. So and, and the... Years after the fact sequel, The Two Jakes. Directed by Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Okay, great. Um Alright, let's move on to bonus features. Bonus features, bonus, bonus features, bonus features, bonus, bonus features. Um so pretty much the only thing I watched besides the two movies for this week was I went to the Museum of Modern Art and saw a slate of experimental films, um, yeah. all of which were directed or... Yeah, that's... that's uh, I'll get to that. Um, either directed or um, re- related to the uh, experimental uh, lesbian filmmaker. So now that you feel pretty bad about making those wretched sounds, don't you? <laughs> um, anyway, experimental filmmaker Barbara Hammer. Okay. 
So I saw Clay, I Love You Too. Some of, some of these films... She makes horror films, right? No. Some of these films were bad and uninteresting. I thought one was incredibly racist. <laughs> Oh really? Uh, yeah. Um, I'll get to I'll get to the specifics in a second. So I watched Clay. I love you too, which is just it's just nothing. There's nothing to it. It's just like a home movie that she shot of a road trip that she took with her then husband. Fair, pretty uninteresting. It's your standard experimental film where it's just you know, oh I took the camera out and just recorded things. Now I edited it together, and I'm sure you can make some really this if you really wanted to. But it's not interesting at all. Then there is Multiple Orgasm, which I thought was pretty great, which is basically these shots of the American Southwest, mm. um, sort of shot of the, in color film, um, over top uh, of which has been superimposed uh, a graphic image of a woman masturbating. Uh, right. And that's um, all it is for about 14 minutes. Uh, it shifts to her face, uh, uh, sort of making the... Uh, Expressions of orgasm. Um, the O face. Yes, if you will. Um, and I thought uh, that was pretty extraordinary, oh. honestly. It, it was very... It. I thought there's there, there's something really sort of primal about the way Arousing. it's connected. Shut up. Connecting these images. And I thought it was really good. Um, the way then, you connected your hand to your penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I jacked up in the middle of this crowded theater. Um <laughs> And then I watched uh, Vever for Barbara, which is not actually directed by Barbara Hammer, but utilized a lot of footage that she shot, um, which I thought was really sort of tasteless. Um, and it's sort of this, like, it has all these, like, shots of Guatemalan people. And it, it, over, in voiceover, it's like, I went to Guatemala to try to fad myself. Uh, and I just thought the way that it is just sort of like this weird touristy view of these people and using this, like, weird soundtrack. It just made them seem, like, kind of like aliens, and I thought that was pretty racist and weird, and I didn't like it. Uh, and I hate the genre of people, no matter how artily it is uh, depicted, of uh, white, rich people going to poor countries to find themselves. Hmm. It's always, always problematic, always pretty racist, and that's not accept- that's no exception to the world of experimental film. So, and then another film for us I watched is called would you like to meet your neighbor? Um, a New York subway tape, which is also pretty cringy. It has a sort of like liber- lib vibe of, well, why don't people on the New York subway talk to each other? Uh, yeah. And she tries to encourage people to like ask what uh, the other people are reading, right? Um, and it's pretty yeah. funny just because it's like really bad for the most part. <laughs> but there is one scene that I thought was absolutely hysterical where it's this like young sort of Italian American couple, right? But these, like, thick, <laughs> they are very clear, like, this, like, you know, um, I don't know, they have, like, very thick Ita- uh, uh, New York accents, right? And New York. Yeah. And they just seem, like, ethnic in this very specific way, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and then Barbara here was like, well, why don't you guys ask this other man who, what he's reading? And, <laughs> like, it's, a, it's showing this couple, right? And then it reveals to whom they're addressing this plea, right? And it's this white guy with, like, long, blonde hair, right? Who's wearing sunglasses on the train, who looks like Ted Kaczynski or, like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's some, like, a, a white supremacist, John. basically. or Yeah. Like, right. And he's just, I, just, I just really enjoy the image of him being like, well, yes, I am reading the Turner Diaries. <laughs> I am currently reading the novelization of Taxi Driver. Thank you for asking. 
Um, so that scene was really funny, but general, it was bad. I did not enjoy it. Um, then yeah, there is Vital Signs uh, from 1991, which is pretty good. Um, sort of this odd interpolation of Hiroshima Monomore um, mixed together mm. with this sort of very subliminal imagery of, of approaching death and it has this sort of power over it where i don't know it's just it it's it's very um sort of subliminally uh and symbolically um i don't know dealing with like the aids crisis and you know people dying and i thought that was pretty good and then i watched evidentiary bodies which is just a bunch of experimental film nonsense and i did not care for it and that is what i watched this week you cool um i think i only watched one film and I pretty much only watched it so I could have something to say on the podcast because um, I watched it last night. And that film is Dolomite Is My Name. Mm. And uh, initially when I started watching it, I was like, why didn't we do this instead of Lady and the Tramp? I have no interest in Lady and the Tramp, but mm. I have like a tiny bit of interest in, in watching this. I, ha- I had the hope that maybe mm. this is like enjoyable enough. But after watching it, I will say that it's good that we didn't do it because there's nothing to, to say about it. There's, there's no sort of room for discussion. It's, like, competently made, but it's, it's sort of biopic boilerplate, really. It's watchable is the best I'll say about it. Um, Eddie Murphy's pretty good in it. Wesley Snipes is not good in it. <laughs> That's a shame. It's quite bad in it, actually. You're tired uh, hero. Actually, they both are. I was a huge fan of uh, Eddie Murphy as a kid, but particularly The Golden Child, objectively his best film. Um, it does that hilarious biopic thing where they try and, like, cinematically... They, they try and cinematically represent mm. a decision a character makes to do something, mm-hmm. right? And they usually have to do it in quite a ham-fisted way. Like, they, they come across an article and they're like, hmm... And that leads to whatever famous biographical event happened. And this, like, represents his transition from making uh, blue comedy records to making exploitation films. Mm. It signifies that by having him watch a movie, in this case the front page, the Billy Wilder version, and look meaningfully for several seconds at the projection booth, Mm. at the light coming out of the projection booth. And that's how we know that he's deciding to make a film when in reality, I mean, just looking at the actual images presented in front of you is enough would be enough to inspire that thought. You don't need to go, hmm, where, where is this coming from up there? Maybe I should make films, but I, I always enjoy the way that biopics ham fistedly try and do that sort of thing. But that's all I have to say about Dolomite. Mm. But it's interesting that, that we are in the, uh, Eddie Murphy Renaissance at the beginning of it, because Beverly Hills Cop 4 is also coming to Netflix at a later stage. God. Uh, Big fan of that series as a kid. What, why do you think he's coming back now? I think he needed a cooling off period after, like, the era of Pluto, Nash, and Norbert and whatever. Like, his his box office success petered out. I, I'm kind of hoping he gets cancelled, to be honest. When it's revealed that he indeed did <laughs> arrange the uh, execution of a prostitute. Yes. What an awful uh, thing for and no Might one. Not be true. No, no one. Ta- no one talks about that fact. Don't tarnish my childhood heroes. <laughs> yeah. 
I do feel bad about for Wesley Snipes, though. He probably shouldn't have gone to jail. No. I like Wesley Snipes. That's what I say that, that they're bringing Blade back, but not with him. I agree, because he could still do it. Yeah, he's good. Maybe what they should do is just have him be like old Blade. That'd be great. Mm. I would enjoy that. The thing that doesn't work here is they cast him as if he's a comedic character actor mm. in Dolomite. Oh, bro, and coming to America. Yes, that's right. Which shares the director of Dolomite is my name. Oh, really? Yep. Craig Brewer. Hmm. Who is also notable for directing Hustle and Flow. What, uh, what, is there anything else? No, but clean out of segments. Project A plus that was Project A plus. Project A plus that was Project A. Plus. Project A plus featuring the both of us. Project A plus now it's time to say thanks very much. Please stay in touch. Otherwise we might lose the will to fight Then we'll close down our website We're gonna go make another show Now we have to say goodbye Hope you get that dream job Maybe meet a handsome guy We pray to God that you'll find happiness Before you die Oh.